Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you bring a a company of 700 people to its knees and there's about 10 of us left around staring at each other, you know that it's it's for real. And yeah. uh, I'm not one that does good going home and and just saying, oh, well, we'll be back whenever we can. Right. I, uh, eight of us stayed around the office to make sure everything functioned that needed to function and all that. And I'd be sitting in there thinking, as, as we did back in 08 when things got bad, as I'd sit there and think, what am I going to do to get the heck out of this mess? And then it came across my mind of what am I going to do because I know we're not going to have IBEX this year. IBEX International Boat Builders Exhibition and Conference. And, and then about May when it was starting to look like mm, we may need to start thinking. And uh, I sat down our national sales manager and some other people and I said, all right, here's my idea. And we took this piece of real estate right out here. Mm-hmm. It's what I call the most wasted piece of real estate in Rome, Georgia. <laughs> I mean, who would ever have that size of a lobby within a lobby? And uh, so we took that in this showroom and turned all of that into adding to the showroom. And we had eight, I mean, uh, three boats leaning against that far wall. Now, these are not full-size boats. These are boats we made to do, and and we had that impact pattern all over one of them. Okay. We had had all that there and all about reflex on that end. Then we had a vinyl wall and all about vinyl there then this is our sensation wall and then here's all of our steering wheels and then you get into the consoles and you had other stuff through here and that was kind of a virtual boat show you guys put your own (laughs) no we literally uh flew customers in okay on private plane um we sanitized the plane every day we picked up somebody brought them here had them all masked up had the sanitizing I don't know if there's any of it around here, but we had sanitizing packets for them. And Syntex known for our peanuts we send out every year at Christmas. We had Ed Mitchell packs of peanuts. and um, We made sure everything was, you know, at lunchtime was wrapped up right and all. And we had customers here from anywhere from four to six hours, seven hours. Wow. All day long. I'm Bill Waters, and I'm with Syntex Industries, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. All right, Bill, what's going on, man? Just work. That's Just all we work. get to do. Yeah. I'm not working here. I'm working at the farm. Well, that's that's what I understand. You know, this is the first time we've been able to meet, but um, I've heard all kinds of stories about you running cattle. You got what What all you got going on at, at the farm? We're basically a high genetic registered black Angus seed stock operation. 
That's a lot of words you just said. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> it separates you from being a commercial cattleman. Right. Because um, we do all AI or embryo transfer. In okay. other words, we'll take embryos out of a high genetic animal and propagate her and put her in a lot of other females. Okay. Be surrogate mothers. Right. So that has to be kind of a, an evolution over time of of starting from where? Like, how did you get? That seems pretty, pretty uh, <laughs> uh, advanced, right? I started originally back in the 90s in the uh, just basic commercial cattle business. And, oh, I'd say it's about six years ago, I threw my hands up and said, I'm tired of this. I don't like people telling me what my animals are worth and it'd be a commodity out there and that's all you could ever get. So I finally decided I'd start doing something different. And I, we reached in and we decided to go after the black Angus side and we started doing the high genetic line that people buy for their top end seed stock. Hmm. And, you know, if you're looking for like the best marbling, the best whatever you're looking for in a steak, Ultimately, no, no matter what you produce, it's going to ultimately end up in a steak. Right. And uh, you want to be the one that's in the steak and not in the McDonald's hamburger. Mm. And that's where the that's where the higher profits are, you got being it. in the steak. Well, I want to be the one that's producing the seed stock that they do, and that way they come to me for the seed stock, and I can tell them what I'll sell it to them for. Right. So how? what kind of uh, – did you have to learn how to – do that or was this oh, yeah. something that was like <laughs> how did you identify that as like i'm tired of doing what i'm doing and i'm moving to this other it's just another avenue of trying to get it to where your value on a cattle is more than 80 cents a pound dollar mm -hmm. a pound i mean it just the other way is just you're selling it by the pound and uh we're selling ours by the animal and it's i would say say if we have this year we have like 65 bulls mm -hmm. and we'll probably castrate 15 to 20 of them that's the only 15 or 20 in our whole herd that'll go toward beef hmm. the rest of them will either become recip mamas or they'll become seed stock that we sell to somebody the bulls are all sold off to somebody as their breeding bulls hmm. how much how much land do you have have to have to support that operation well, uh, we run cattle on all together cows, calves, recips, heifers you're raising up to be a year old, bulls you're raising up to be a year to two years old. We run about 400 cows on about 375 acres. Wow. And what what do those cows eat most of their life? Grass? A lot, <laughs> a lot of grass, a lot of everything probably. <laughs> Most of our, even our beef is grass-fed beef, what you do. But in the grass-fed beef program, you can still put up to 10% grain right. or like corn in order to give them the, the uh, energy they need to make it through the cold days through the wintertime. But most of ours is, you know, grass or grass of some sort. Mm -hmm. And most of all our feed, except for the corn we get in or the, or the creep feed we feed the calves, is produced right there on the farm. Really? We... Rented the first little patch next to us, about 30 acres, that uh, it just caused the guy's friends with, and he wanted to do something with it. So I said, look, if you'll let me have it for six to eight years, I'll put an alfalfa field on it. And literally, we uh, planted it this past fall and pretty much got it done, and it's growing at a pretty good rate now, and we'll probably have our first cutting in May. Hmm. And once you start cutting it, 
It's every 30 days. Every 30 days. Once it blooms to a certain point, it's got to be cut. What happens if it's not? It goes, goes it'll, bad? It'll go out and just die. Mm. So that has to be like when you when you bring in 30 acres, you have to – how do you adjust your operation for to be able to cut it every 30 30 days like that <laughs> is that people <laughs> is that you who, who does that we have one full-time and one part-time guy my wife and i uh-huh really and for I, all that operation yep i mean it's like saturday and sunday we pretty much worked on equipment or we're out doing different things on the farm and uh i sprayed all day sunday the alfalfa field um, it's Roundup Ready Alfalfa, so you can spray over it to kill all the weeds. And you want to get those out the first year, and this is our first year of it, and mm-hmm. try to get any grass that's growing and kill it and everything. And he was overloading the spreader truck, and we literally hire somebody with a spreader truck to come in, and we spread about 17 tractor-trailer loads of uh, chicken litter. Mm. Is that the is that the prime? Like where I go turkey hunting, they're, they're spreading um, manure, like – Cow we manure. do that too, but we don't we don't get enough of that to right. justify doing just that. Right. Yeah. And we still have to spread some commercial fertilizer. Uh huh. Because we have neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like that smell sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean that is it. It, it is the natural <laughs> stuff. Everybody wants natural until you're living right next door to it. Well, in reality, we do even uh, another. We work with a company called Cinegrow, and uh, it's the sludge that comes out of uh, the human waste plants really and they got to spread it somewhere and they spread it across they are farm and and they do so much at a certain time and we stay off of it for about the next 45 days it gets rained in and it's just like you spread chicken litter but it doesn't smell that bad really it's always already composted and gone through all the heats and all and doesn't really have any germs left in it now you'll get Seeds that'll sprout, like all of a sudden you may look out in your field and you have tomatoes growing everywhere. <laughs> I wonder why. So, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> you got peanuts, peanuts everywhere. <laughs> Rarely you see that. <laughs> yeah, you could though. Uh, well, that's funny, man. Um, so that you got that whole operation going, and it sounds like that's like that's like an every weekend deal for you and your wife, and and you got kids, right? Like, did they work on all this when they were when they were? When at they home? were young. They did, but my kids are up and gone my son lives in colorado my daughter lives in alabama yeah and your boy that lives in colorado you were telling me he's a fisherman big time what is where is he uh tell you right man i love tell you right beautiful place i love tell you right place and there's good fishing around there but yeah, there is he ended up moving he was working here at syntec with me uh well when he got out of college he went to beaver creek for a few years as a ski instructor and that's when he started being a fishing guide and then he decided that he knew his knees weren't going to make it forever being a, mm-hmm. a ski instructor like what he was doing. So he bowed out and came back to work here with me at Syntec. And he did that for about three years. And he was starting a company on the side. And he packed it up uh, and went to do an, one of those accelerator programs to teach you how to get a new company started and growing quick. And mm-hmm. He did, went through that program. As you can tell you, right, that's how he ended up there and never came back. What company was, what was he wanting to do I mean, when he went through that program? Um, he has a company that's called Western Rise. And he what do they do? Uh, outdoor clothing. Okay. It's a uh, really high technical fabric outdoor clothing. Yeah. Um, really neat stuff. He started out mainly aiming toward fly fishing. Mm-hmm. 
and realizing that's a pretty narrow niche, as you know, and um, expanded it into he does shirts and pants, and he has probably the biggest thing he's done is the evolution pants. You may have even seen that out there, but it's all done on the internet. Okay. It's, you know, westernrise.com and sells everything through that one portal. Right on. And that and that little kind of like a Y Combinator kind of uh, – is it a business incubator that he did? Like, did yes. they help him get started and, and, and give him all the tools? Like there's a lot of those around in different towns and it's a good way for a town to like bring in a, a really good company like, like your sons. Uh, did he, did he learn a lot from there that oh, yeah. he, he uses every single day? And like he said, I learned more doing that than I would have ever learned going through and getting my master's. Right. That's what I was going to ask if, if he had studied business in, in college, because it seems like, man, the, I mean, that's like real world stuff. They're like, oh, you need you need your business license. This is where you go. This is what you do. Mm-hmm. And and way more than that, like how to sell stuff on the Internet and how to how to do all that. That's that's pretty good program. Um, His main mentor during it was the guy that started a. Uh, Mountain Khaki. Okay. Now, well, that's probably khaki, a good guy to learn from. Sales and all that, but Mountain Khaki, as you know, started out and grew up pretty rapidly to a pretty good sized company. And that, that, and then he also had a lot of work with a guy from Patagonia that okay. started it. So he had a lot of good mentors when he was doing it. Now, who does he work for when when he's fishing out there? He you doesn't know? now. He, he's working for himself. Uh, I got you. Rides okay. All the time. I got you. So, so <laughs> the guiding now is to go fishing. Right, but the guiding took a took a a back seat to this, or mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a funny little period in anybody's life when you're when you're working on something and something's paying the bills, but there's this other thing that you're wanting to do, and you're having to pay the bills, but you're doing this on the side, <laughs> and then there's this moment where. It's like, okay, all in, like I'm going all this clothing company or I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. And it's a big decision. It's almost sometimes as big a decision to decide not to do the other thing as it is to jump into the, to the one thing. But that's, that's cool that he's been able to make that work. And man, Telluride, what a great place. Took my boy uh, skiing there for his senior (laughs) trip. And just the way that whole mountain is set up, like you go there, you don't need a car. You don't need anything. We rode the chairlift but, to the grocery store. Everywhere. You yeah, but you can do it on the mm-hmm. chairlift too. You ride the gondola, gondola to the, the grocery store and then uh, you know, all these little little villages. That's where I had to stay is in the bottom. Right. Because of the altitude? <laughs> That's a very high place. Out there. What does the altitude do to you? The eight, uh, Me? Yeah. Oh, makes me sick. <laughs> Throw up sick. Really? After oh, yes. a couple of days, can you get acclimated to it? Or? Um, it usually hits me in the first 24 to 48 yeah. hours. Once I get the 12 hours of throw up, I'm fine. Uh-huh. After that, you get acclimated. week else, I'm fine. Right. That makes it, it tough just, to go out and see uh, <laughs> see everybody. See the little man. <laughs> yeah. I know, but that's a that's a high place, man. Telluride is... is... He lives on Mid-Mountain, and that's 9,500 feet. Wow. What a great place to Pretty live. Pretty rough though. on me. <laughs> what a great place to live. Those little ta- That little town, I, I love oh. that. It's just such a... I mean, if you were to, to kind of pick a western town to like tell somebody about like this is the ideal little place that 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 is one of the better ones tell you right has done a good job of uh how do you put it they really just don't have any what you call a chain store Mm -hmm. period yeah they've kept the town very similar to what it was i mean if you have a buy house on you know in the town and you want to enlarge it you better figure out how to go in in the ground to do it 
You're not going to tear it down and rebuild it. That's the same way with um, with Key West. You know, Key West has done a really good job on some things. On other things, it's it's debatable, uh, you know, with like things like the cruise ships and other things that come into Key West. But they have this old, old area there called Old Town. And if you want to, you know, lots of rich people buy these old places that are really cool looking gingerbread all over them. And they're just really old. But you can't just tear that down and build something else. You They're have just to waiting on the next hurricane, though, aren't they? Well, yeah. I mean, you're always living in that area. You're always waiting on the next hurricane, and and uh, and it's coming too. Like it, mm-hmm. you're waiting. There's been some times where where there's been some extended period of times where Key West did not get a hurricane. There's even a there's even like a um, I don't know what you would call it. It's like a a, a religious um. It's a place where people go and they pray and they they mm-hmm. uh, light candles and stuff like that. It's called a church. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> this is like this is like on the side of the street, and it's just like a um, it's just a place where they light candles and 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 just kind of say a little prayer for Key West, and it's mm-hmm. supposed to keep Key West safe. And for a long time, that was the thinking that hurricanes don't hit Key West, and then they then they did. I mean, they would hit up the keys, or they'd hit you know they'd just move off. But that was that was the thinking, and you can go by and you can see that. But people people were. There's another old town that we drive to because like it's not easy for us to drive to Key West, right? <laughs> um, but we go to like Apalachicola, uh-huh. yeah. And uh, it's still you know they they kept the high rises or mm-hmm. new homes and all that out on St. George, but right. Apalachicola is still the old rustic town, yeah. and it's really a neat town there. Old Florida. It got like- beat up some through that. <sighs> What was it, Michael, that well, came Mexico up through there? Mexico Beach. Yeah, Mike, Mexico Beach, 30 miles away, was washed away, uh, basically. There's like one house left. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's, You saw those two. Yeah, I did. I thought, huh, why I would thought, you want to build a house that would make that storm? <laughs> well, I mean, the thought is... That's now how everybody has to build a house. When you when we have hurricanes in the Keys these days, um, you can go and you can see old construction and new construction. And the new construction, there's virtually nothing wrong with the house. And the old construction, it's the whole roof's gone. And um, you know, the if you build the code and the code keeps keeps getting better and better and better, mm-hmm. I mean, man, they 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 do pretty well. I mean, you know, category five is a lot different than a category one, but um, you can. You know, nowadays, new construction, pretty good. But now I would think everybody wants to get the house built by whoever built that one, that one last, <laughs> the one that made it through that storm because nothing else did. It but looked like it was white clean. I'm the only guy that has that because you got all that mess around you for the next 10 years. Yeah, I know. Everything is, everything's a construction zone for, mm-hmm. for a while. But I, I understand that they're, they're making some progress around there. Well, and, I- we were down in Apalachicola last year, and it was come a long ways. Mm-hmm. What do you like to do down there? Do you like to fish down there? Tarpon fish. Uh-huh. That's my saltwater time of fishing. <laughs> right on. Right on. Do you fish with any guides down there? Um, We fished with Brett a few times and Junior a few times. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Depends whether we're going fly fishing or going red fishing with just a, a, a spinning rod. Yeah. And what what's the background in fly fishing for you? Oh my goodness! I just I started it with my father-in-law. Goodness, thirty years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, played around with it and played around with it till finally my son got into it and he got better than I did. So he helped me along, and then as a fishing guide, he was able to get all the equipment we need. So we pretty much set up for doing uh fly fishing for salt or freshwater. Mm-hmm. What do you prefer? 
fresh. <laughs> do you? What do you like? What do you, you like you about walk the... over here to my office and you see why? <laughs> oh yeah, well, I'm sure you're. Uh, well, I mean, we're in Rome, Georgia, right now, and right around here, some of the biggest trout in the world, uh, not far from here. Um, well, literally, what a lot of the fly fishing you'll do here in the summer is uh, they run the Etowah over here that comes mm-hmm. out of Altona for striper. Stripe, yeah. And when they start running, that's a pretty good thing to go play with. Right on. Um, you can get up in the mountains up toward Clayton and all, and you can get some pretty good trout. Yeah. But you're talking, you know, if you get a 20-incher, you've done well. But then there's the then there's like the um, the place where my friend Will Taylor guides. It's it's the uh, it's the headwaters of um, what is that river? The um, up in Tennessee toward Knoxville. Uh, well, it's in Georgia, North Georgia. I mean, in the North Georgia, you have like the the um, the um, what's that river, Connor? The Noontula, all that, Noontula, and, yeah. and the uh, that whole area up there. Hawassi. What's the What's the river that um, the Tacoa? Yeah, Tacoma, the headwaters yeah. of the Tacoa. Man, they're some of the biggest trout in the world up there. You ever been there? No, I haven't been to that one. We ought to go one time. I might have to run up I got, there. Yeah, well, I mean, I got a good friend, he, Will Taylor. He's been on the podcast a whole bunch of times, and uh, I love going fishing with him. He's it's it's really a fun time, and I mean, I don't know what it is. You could feed trout, and that's what people say is, oh, well, those are just pellet pellet pigs, you know, <laughs> whatever. I like big fish, and but I don't think they are. I mean, I'm sure that they feed them at, at times. I don't know what they do with them, but there's – I know that I've been a lot of places in the world where they feed trout. Mm-hmm. Even out west, you can go on rivers and somebody will have a, a feeder out in their yard pushing pushing pellets out into They're the river. To keep trout around their zone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, those those fish are eating, but they're not getting the size of the ones in North Georgia. I don't know. There's some magic there's about that water. There's some good ones up in LJ, too. Yeah, of course. Um, but there's some magic about that water that you, you have that water combined with feeding combined with good genetics that they're obviously bringing in there and man it's a it's a factory so do you mainly fly fish or you oh i do all kinds of fishing okay i do all kinds of fishing so i grew up um i grew up fishing with my dad in you know in chattanooga Mm -hmm. i grew up just bluegill bass fishing mostly and uh that was mostly with spinning rods uh, when I graduated from the push button Zebco, I went to a spinning <laughs> rod and, and, uh, and e- even as a kid, I didn't do that much bait casting. Um, that just wasn't of interest. We just usually did spinning rods and light tackle and stuff like that. And then, um, when I, uh, later I, I got interested in fly fishing and I went out and worked in Yellowstone national park for the summer and that did it. That was all, that was all she <laughs> you were wrote. There. I, yeah. I got tapped out. I mean, I, I just knew, um, I mean, there's this story that I have about walking down the, um, the Yellowstone river uh, and you can start at the, the Hamilton store at fishing bridge and you can walk a mile on the Howard Eaton trail and all of that's closed to fishing. But then when you get down there, all the people are on the other side and you're on this side of the river and it's almost impossible to cross early season because it's really deep. And so you're just fishing over there by yourself and there's a high bank. And I just remember looking down and seeing a fish pretty much for the first time in my life. Like, I mean, you can see fish around here a little bit, like kinda, but when you're out there and that water's so clear and you're on an elevated bank, it looked like the thing was floating in the air. I mean, it was, it was so obvious and I somehow made my way down there and I somehow flopped a terrible cast out in front of this thing with this horrible fly that I had tied and the thing ate it. And it was pretty much at that moment. Like a lot of people have asked me like, when did you know what you wanted to do? And I'm like, 
that moment right there. <laughs> I caught that fish and I just knew that I was going to do this. And I didn't know exactly what this meant. What, what it evolved into was kind of making a living in the outdoors and making a living fishing. But it was that. And I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I don't care if I have to live in a, in a live like a pauper. <laughs> yeah. Live under a bridge, live, live, whatever. I was plenty happy to continue to clean toilets at, in Yellowstone National Park for the rest of my life. I had no idea what the winter was like there. That was going to be a, that was the next, that was the next evolution of, of the, of the journey is uh, trying to spend a winter out there. But, but I started my, my career as a fly fisherman. Um, that was the first time I ever made any money as a fisherman was being. Probably if you were wandering around there in the wintertime, you were, I, I've been out there a couple of times through the winter when in snowmobile. This back before yeah. they have all the restrictions they do now, and I never forget we were coming out of West Yellowstone and going up to the uh, what do they call it, little little Grand Canyon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and coming up there, and uh, they had started clearing the road for spring, and you're kind of going along where the bumpers are, and you look over, and it's 15 feet down to the pavement. <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, how do these people do this? Yeah, and we pulled up because we had we. They told us we had to fuel up one time to be able to do the whole trek, and we pulled up the gas station, and we're sitting there looking, going, "Here's the sign," and you look down, there's a hole, and it was cut in the snow, and you had a rope, and you held the rope as you went down, and you put your credit card in the gas pump, and tied the handle to it, and the guy up top would pull the rope up and fuel everything up and lower it back down. To you. <laughs> I'd never seen anything like that's that. a different deal right there. It was pretty much even with the awning that was above the gas station. I hit a lot of snow. I hit a lot of snow. I remember uh, taking my kids out there for the their first time to experience the West, which uh, apparently was a pretty good introduction because both my boys are out there now. They both live in Bozeman, Montana. They, <laughs> they love Yellowstone National Park. And uh, we went out there and we went over Dunraven Pass. And it had just opened. Same kind of deal like you're talking about. This was real early and and uh, like very per- first part of May. And there's still an amazing amount of snow out there. But they had cleared Dunraven Pass. And we went over there. And you're looking at 20 feet of snow on each side of the road. And um, there's still lots of snow on the side of the roads and everything else. But, I mean, there's just this mass. You're just going through this cut. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's the same kind of deal you did. I was like, man, that is a lot of snow. We had this really cool experience right there where this wolf came out in front of us and crossed the road and then went down um, into the woods. And so we waited there for a little bit and pulled the car up and looked. And the wolf's obviously not there. And we wait just a little bit. I'm like, hey, let's get out and look at the footprint that that thing left. And cause it just walked right in front of us. So, I mean, like sometimes you're back there and you're like, I don't know, that looks like a wolf print, but it's kind of old and <laughs> you know, you don't know, but I got the kids out there and every one of my kids, all three of them, they remember that like it was yesterday. Like we, that wolf walked out in front, we waited, we get out, you know, it's safe. And we walk over there and look at that print. First it's of all, it's like you. this big. And, uh, I mean, it's the size of a, of a plate and you're thinking, man, that is the same species as we have living in our house, like, <laughs> but it weighs 130 pounds and, and has a foot that's the size of a plate. And, uh, it was just a, an amazing, mm-hmm. cool experience, but we've had so many great experiences in Yellowstone. Um, 
it's one of my, it, it probably is my favorite place. And both my boys are out there and they go to uh university or not university of Montana. They go to Montana state in Bozeman. I've been and there. Uh, yeah, it's a good place. I was in the Gallatin area down the, where you turn up to go toward big sky mm-hmm. at a wedding one time. And we were got there a few days early and did some fishing and all. And then one day we went hiking, my wife and I, and we had to cut through one of Ted Turner's farms to get back to this trail on this other mountain to carry us up a mountain we wanted to do. And we were riding along and I was like, what in the world would Ted Turner put a big statue of an elk like that? <laughs> I mean, this thing was huge, beautiful antlers and all. And I stopped and I was about to get out to take a picture of the statue and it jumped the road. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But it was huge. Man. Boy, Ted Turner has accumulated an incredible amount of land out there and really some of the very finest land that anyone could hope for. He he is and, and excuse me, in New Mexico, he did well with some of what he has there. It's uh he has about two hundred thousand acres that connects with Philmont. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of Philmont yeah. Boy yeah, Scout the Boy Ranch? Scout Ranch? And uh it's called the for, starts with a V. Can't say the name of it, but it's uh he lets the Boy Scouts cut trails in it and, and uh backpack through it and all. Nice. You know, they have a hundred or hopefully they continue to have hundred and sixty thousand or so acres there. Depends on what happens with all of this suit they got going on. Yeah. What a um, weird but, situation that is. I mean, that's just crazy. It's just a somebody just let something get out of hand. Well, that's what I mean, that that is kind of what happened. It is something that got out of hand and then you think about like <laughs> I don't know where to where do bad people go. They go where they want, where they can get what they want, and that sure it seems mm-hmm. like a good place. And then it gets out of hand. I I don't know. I don't know what this what the future of the Boy Scouts is, but that sure would not be a good thing if if the Boy Scouts didn't make it. Well, I, I was a Eagle Scout, and then I was a Scoutmaster for ten years, and that was before they let girls into Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking every day about how in the world. Could I have been a scoutmaster and half the kids out there in tents were girls and these kids are 15? Yeah. It makes no sense. Does that seem like a, a situation that's about to get out of hand? <laughs> Very. <laughs> I mean, that's just horrible thought. Yeah. Boy but, scouts are for boys. Yeah. Well, it would, but, but the girl scouts and I wasn't, I wasn't a scout. I I was around people. A lot of my friends were scouts. A lot of I've got some friends that were Eagle scouts, just like yourself. A lot of people are very involved mm-hmm. in scouting. i just my dad just took me hunting and fishing every weekend and that's just how we spent our time but um it always seems like the girl scouts and the boy scouts were not the same mission the same thing with just one being girls and one being boys the girl scouts i mean that would be seems like that would be the way it would go but the the girl scouts were they had a different deal i don't know what they Correct. did but the Boy Scouts, you know, they had the camping and the badges and all that. And the Girl Scouts had badges, too. But somewhere along the line, they started to diverge. And I could see why some girls want to be in the Boy Scouts because that, they're doing all the cool stuff. Like, you get to go to Philmont and hang to- out and hike and camp. And that's what I want to we do. We took our boys to Maine. They used to have a high adventure base there. They have the one down in the Keys. Yeah. A, a couple. They have a couple. Of, uh, right. My my partner Rich. He used to live on that same street that the um, the sea base was mm-hmm. on. 
And, um, and then they have, uh, uh, right by, um, a bridge that we fish on a lot Spanish Harbor bridge across the street. There's a, there's a boy scout, uh, area there. Yeah. We, we took ours to Maine. We never did the one. They had another one in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that in boundary water? Yeah. Adventure what a place. great area that is. And well, the Maine was a lot like boundary water was, uh-huh. and they ended up having to close it. Ah, that's probably. I'm gonna say that was probably back in the early side of the nineties. Mm. They closed it. Why did they close uh, that? Just had too many things. Didn't have enough people going through the one in Maine. It's really neat because you're. We had two crews, and I took the younger crew. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend of mine was, you know, one of our other scoutmasters took the older crew, and they were able to take their them and walk Mount Katahdin. Which oh is yeah, that's the end of the, the that's the end of the I Appalachian Trail. First. <laughs> well, because because I'm from the south, <laughs> you start here and you go there. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's yeah. just the it's the Appalachian Trail, the very beginning or end, whatever you want to call right. it. Mm-hmm. And and what did you uh, what did you think about Mount Katahdin? I didn't get to do it. I had the younger kids. Oh, they wouldn't let it. They wouldn't let them <laughs> I go up. See it, and I went to the base of it, but I couldn't take my because there up. there are. I mean, we've had a bunch of people on the podcast that do the Appalachian Trail, including this. <laughs> We had this dude, and he took his family of eight, including a two-year-old. They had they backpacked a two-year-old the entire Appalachian Trail, oh except they got to Mount Katahdin, and the rangers wouldn't let them go up there. So they packed 2,000, whatever the whole thing is, minus a half mile, and they couldn't, they wouldn't let them go. Like, come on, man. If they can do 2,000 miles, I'm pretty sure they can finish this thing off. Like, <laughs> Get off of there. You got it. <laughs> you know? But, wow. man, what would that be like to have a two-year-old on the Appalachian Trail? Um, they got the funniest videos ever. Uh, uh, Fight for Together is what their what their deal is. He wrote a book recently, and he's one of he's a great podcast. The dude, um, he had uh, just when you're talking to people like this, just I'm sure that I'm, it'll come up with you here in a minute. It's other other things that you do, but this guy he um, he managed and participated in a professional blackjack team, which I didn't even know there was such a thing. Um, Gamblers, <laughs> yeah, but he counted cards, and he oh. told me all about how they count cards and all about how they can spot them and, and everything. It was a really interesting conversation because I don't know, I've always heard about counting cards and I figure, well, if you're using some kind of a, a tool, some kind of a, uh, it's gotta a, be done in there. Yeah. Hand. But if you're using a clicker or a tool or whatever, I could see how that could be totally illegal. But if you're just real smart and you know, you can just observe, that doesn't seem like that should be illegal to me, but I don't know. He, he, he explained it to me and he was like, well, no, you can count cards all you want, but it's, it's how you, how you behave at the table. You may sit there for four or five hours and not make any bets at all. And then, you know, okay, it's going to, it may not be this one or the next one or the next one or the next one, but it's going to be one of those that's going to hit here. 5,000 in, 5,000 in, 5,000 in. And then you hit, and then you make almost no bets as you're counting the cards and counting the cards, counting the cards, and then you bet big and win big. Hmm. But apparently he was very successful at it. But uh, I don't know. Everybody's got a different story. <laughs> Everybody's got these these backstories like yours with the with the cattle. I mean, 
that's that's a that's a lot of time and energy that you're spending on cattle when we're sitting here in in your business here. Uh, so this is Syntech, right? This and, is Syntech. And how did you? How long have you had this? Um, well, I started Syntech in '86. Okay. Uh, we literally, literally originally started. Um, that first column right there is carpet, marine carpet, marine carpet. Mm-hmm. We were making carpet for boats. Okay. Uh, as we grew. Through the next year or two, let me see, the first real downturn was in 89, 90. I remember that one. <clears throat> I didn't like the taste of uh, one product in one market. Hmm. And so we started looking at other markets and ended up going after RV because it seemed like a good fit. You know, it would be about the same and ended up going through the van conversion to get there. And at one point we were making carpet for about, 12 to 1500 vans. Yeah. Was that Choo Choo Customs? Choo Choo Customs one. You know, when you, when you pass by there, there on the highway, you can still see the old building there they and it's just small. totally empty. They were small. <laughs> well, they, they seem to be like, I, I remember, you know, being living, growing up in Chattanooga, I, I would see those vans all the time. And Choo Choo Customs, that was big time. Big and time. you'd get uh, a, uh, a suburban that would be mm-hmm. Choo Choo Customs. They would take, Take a new car, they pull out all the seats and they put in new seats and different seats and, and that yeah, was your product. Yeah. That's your that's Eclipse van conversions. Okay. I got that back in two thousand. How many miles you got on it? Just a few. A few what, hundred? <laughs> a few hundred thousand? Four hundred and sixty seven, sixty eight thousand. So you you drive a car that has four hundred and sixty seven thousand miles on it. Mm-hmm. And you Every day. And you have all these companies? No. Nope. Do I don't you have? own this one anymore. I just run it. You just run this company? Like that, we diverged from being the owner in 01. Hmm. So obviously you could buy any kind of car you wanted probably. Why do you drive a car that has 467,000 miles on it? Well, a truck doesn't really change a whole lot, does it? You should see my brand new one I got out of the parking lot. You might, you might think differently. It almost drives itself. It's got teeth in it, and I know. Yeah. You know what those teeth are? When what? You That's where you have to pay the bill? <laughs> oh, it's got those blue teeth y'all oh, talk about. Blue teeth. Yeah. I don't have blue teeth in mine. <laughs> blue <laughs> teeth. Okay. Blue tooth. Hash no, brown. Uh, I do have roll-up windows. Do you? Yeah. It's hard to get. If you wanted roll-up windows right now, they would cost more than electric windows. Really? Yeah, because they... No, I, I mean, mean, I do have the electric. Oh, you have electric. And then uh, as they converted it, I have the uh, 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 hot and cold cup holders. Woo. And I have a TV in the thing. Really? Yeah. That's pretty fancy. I mean, in the day, this was a fancy truck. It was. And so but, did you buy it new? It was their demo. They okay. were a customer of mine. Right. And so it just happened. You know, I'd always said I wanted to get a truck from you at some point and ended up with the opportunity. And I called him and he started going through it. And he says, well, heck, I got one that we're using as uh, as we're demoing right now. He said, it's got about 8,000 miles on it. I said, really? And he says, what? I said, what color is it? He said, white. I said, no, thank you. <laughs> he said, boy, you answer that one quick. And I said, well, I live down here in Georgia where the red clay is. Uh-huh. I said, it doesn't work well with white around where the tires blow the mud up. Uh And he said, well, I've been needing to paint one. I'll paint it some. I said, just don't make it gaudy. So I got that truck sight unseen 20 years ago, 21 (laughs) years ago now. What would it take for you to decide that you wanted a new truck? Half a million more miles. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Are you going for a million? No, I'll probably 
go to a half a million and get a new one and then put that one on the farm. Mm. I can't not go to a half a million. I'm too close now. That, that, uh, do you think that, uh, that the fact that you drive a car with, with a half a million That's miles a on it, does that, does that uh, speak a truck? Yeah. Sorry. Does that speak about your personality? I don't know. Are you, <laughs> are, would you consider yourself a simple guy? Yeah, pretty simple guy. I mean, you don't, you don't need a new car every year. Um, obviously Definitely not. not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not every year. I mean, some people are getting a new car every year. That seems like a colossal waste of, mm-hmm. of money and energy to me, but, um, I did have to get one recently. No, I mean, I, we're looking cause we're going to know we're going to have to get a new tractor on the farm sooner or later. And, but we're driving tractors that got seven, 8,000 hours on them mm. and they still run like a champ. Yeah. We just clean them up, put new tops, you know, two new headliners in two of them and seats in two of them. And, uh, I hope they'll go another five years. Yeah. Well, they probably will. You have a diesel tractor. Obviously you take, you take care of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, we were starting to talk about, uh, Syntex. So you, you, um, you didn't like one product in one market. So you started branching out. So we got in RV first and, uh, literally as if you remember the, the van conversion market crashed mm-hmm. big time. It went from doing 15, 20,000 a day. I mean, 15 to 1500, 2000 a day to like near none. Now, why is that? What, what was that? The economy? Um, was that a style thing? What, what part happened? Part of it, I believe was they didn't have to put high tops on them anymore. Mm. Um, the thing that changed that world, the reason the whole high top was there to house the TV, ah. and then the, the flat screen thing, the flat TV came out. They could put those on the back of seats. They could flip it off the ceiling. And then the, and also the GMs and the Ford started classing theirs up to be able to compete against it. And, uh, it just wiped it out. There's hmm. still two or three of them still out there, but very, very small amount. Hmm. What's big and, now are the the ones where they take like an old Bronco or an old uh, uh, old um, you know Bronco is a good good example and they mm-hmm. they refurbish those yep. things and make them like brand new. That's, that's hot. That market Very. right there is hot. Mm-hmm. Very. We put some of our Reflex product. That's the foam product that you may have on your back. Yeah, I do. And uh, we put some of that in a guy that's refurbishing Broncos. Yeah, that seems a perfect thing because yeah. you're going to take the top off and it can rain in there and mm-hmm. it's great. I was looking at those those mats you have over there. They seem like they would be great floor mats. That's you ever make floor mats? Is that what floor mm-hmm. mat? But you make floor mats for for cars I know, and trucks. Not really. We do some of that goes into the floor mats into UTVs yeah. and, and carts. Yeah, it makes makes sense. It would be good. So with the with the RV, what when you saw an opportunity in the RV, what were you going to provide them? Well, at that time, we were still nothing but carpet. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just a different kind of carpet. It was more interior. And then uh, it was into the late 90s when we said, hmm, we've grown to where we have 75 plus percent market share of the carpet going into boats. We can't really grow much more. And uh, so we decided to start spreading into other products. And our first step was to get into upholstery vinyls, <laughs> um, you know, like the seat and vinyl you have in all your boats. And we moved into that. <laughs> And then uh, we just kept branching from there. In 2008, in the downturn, we picked up a product at that point out of Belgium called Bowfloor. And we do a lot of Bowfloor uh, that goes into RVs and manufactured housing. We expanded into manufactured housing. 
And then we also picked up uh, steering wheels. Mm. Um, that's a company in Tregnago, Italy. We became the majority owner nine months after we met the guy because he just didn't have any money. Mm. And uh, we grew it from a very small coming out of bankruptcy company to where we're the largest supplier in the marine industry. And we're just getting started pretty good into the, I call it side-by-side UTV golf cart kind of things. Cause there's a ton of carts made that go into the neighborhoods that oh, yeah. need all the golf cart stuff on it. They want a good, nice, pretty steering wheel and everything. Right. So we're getting into that more and more and more. And uh, we'll do well over a hundred thousand wheels now. Hmm. Probably close to 150 this year. Wow. And how much of that is boat? About two-thirds or more. Okay. Mm-hmm. But this other one showing signs of real growth. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, a that lot side of by side, <laughs> side-by-side market is incredible. But then you're having a lot of these communities, too, that that are golf cart-type communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Villages then, in Florida. And yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Sterile. There'd be 10,000 of them a, a village, uh-huh. they say. We sell a lot of product into them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's cool. So, um, but what about the foam floor? We got into that, uh, well, when my son was working here, he drug us into that, and we got into the foam floor, the reflex, we call it. Mm-hmm. And we're doing reflex now into mainly boats, but then we're also doing some into the UTV side-by-side cart market and all. And that has a lot of potential for growth, but we have still a ton of potential um, our plant doing that is up in Chatsworth. Um, it just happened to be an empty building when we put all this last move together. Um, we bought a guy out of the Keys called mm-hmm. Exact, and uh, we bought him because he had a way of digitizing that we didn't have, and we wanted to grab a hold of that because it makes it where I can literally go into your boat and take 10 pictures and come back and digitize it and put it into mats and send it back to you to put right into the boat. Wow. And it fits perfect. Yeah. Every time. That's cool. Um, but we have a good plant there. We have our own routers. We have our own where we do special things like true grain where it we're literally setting the product together and making it a lot tougher than anybody else's. That's been the biggest problem with the the competition in that is is the wearability of it's not the best. It's foam. Right. But with our reflex it wears very But very there's well. when I like what I have on my boat is much harder than um than the competition like it, it it's more durable it's harder and it's easier to clean it seems like to me your product oh it is our product on yeah. your boat yeah. yes well it's harder as in the top layer of it's harder it's a uh ours is a 140 durometer hmm. theirs is a uh 80 durometer that's like grams per okay and, and that means we're a lot more product there a lot more mass into the product and um, that's part of what helps it have good wearability, but it's the true grain that we put in it on it that has the best. Hmm. And it's something that, you know, it's very confidential what we're doing, how we're doing it. Um, we've done all kinds of tests uh, that we now send to customers and we document it and we'll be showing it tomorrow to uh, one of the buying groups in the marine industry, the video that where we have lots of tests where we prove that this product is the best of the best. Hmm. Um, it's not the cheapest, but it's the best. Right. Well, you have a, unknowingly, you have, you have the best, um, you have the best field tester mm-hmm. known to man. 
you put that on Rich's boat, and that. that guy could tear up an He's anvil. Abusive, huh? He could tear up an anvil. I'm telling you, anything I've ever left there does never never comes back the same. So if it can survive anything that he well, even walks across, it's going to be pretty damn If good. he's ever had our competition on a boat, he'll know the difference. Yeah. Um, uh, we did a boat called uh, Surreal. I don't know if you've ever heard of that boat. No, it's I don't know. 53 foot hydro sport. It's a guy that literally owns it personally and uh, he uh, commercial fishes with it. You know, mm. he'll take people mm-hmm. fishing and, all, and a lot of fishing and a uh, beautiful boat. And we did that boat, redid it, and he had had our competitions on there, pulled it and put this down. And uh, he always was having to change it out every year. Mm. We're going on the third year. Wow. Wow, that and says it looks a lot. As good as the day you put it down, he says. Yeah, that says a lot. I like I like fishing on it. I like I like the I like the whole idea of it. It's quieter. It's easier on your back, um, especially in the skiff. Though it's quiet. It's quiet. You get to you get pull the anchor up. You lay the anchor down on the deck. You lay your cast net down on the deck. Oh, Anything. Yeah. It's so quiet. Nice. I love that. I'm looking at it. What you were pointing at a minute ago, and that might be the new matting systems we're working on. Mm. Where we're taking uh, the same reflex, and we've been making mats using like what we put on marine carpet for a backing, but we came in and put what you see up top up here. Yeah, we call that our ridge line. Okay, it's a it's a thick PVC, and we're adhering it to the back of reflex, so it gives it the weight and the resilience and makes it stick much better to or stay in place much better. Okay, without. Sticking it down. Correct. Like just, just laying you it there. You still won't mat, uh, snaps right. because I'm sure you go through the water at about 20 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so we don't want you going 60 miles an hour and a mat pop up in the air catch it because it'd be like a sail and it'll come flying at you. Right. That would be terrible. So that's why we make you at least put snaps into it. Yeah. Well, that's that sounds good. Do you think that there's – um? do you – I mean, I see – I see even bass fishermen going with the with the foam um uh, flooring and mm-hmm. you can you can obviously do uh like some of the stuff that you guys did for us with the logos and stuff, the way that, that you can laser I mean, what do you right. call that process where you're where you're We're routing it in. Routing well, it. we do have a laser machine that does laser and I was trying to look to see if we had lasering over there. Um most of this is all routed in. Mm-hmm. Then on some of the bass boats, you can see the bottom one here. Yeah. That's that's a whole different thing than what anybody else has. And it's, uh, you know, you're making this stuff and you put the, ours is PE, polyethylene foam. You're putting the PE product into the mold. Okay. Then it goes through and it, then it blows. It's like baking kind of cake kind of it blows. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, when it blows, it has a top and a bottom. And usually that's slick and nasty and you just cut it off and then you get to the cake and you start cutting hmm, up okay. with the slices. Well, we made our top and our bottom into something. Okay. So it makes that mold. Which and that's see, the real hard stuff? That's I the mean, because I was stuff. feeling of that stuff, Correct. and that is really hard. Well, think about most bass boat fishermen. How many of them have their shoes on while they're fishing? How many of them have their boots on in the wintertime while yeah, they're fishing? everyone. Well, that doesn't do some of this foam a whole lot of good. Uh-huh. You're not going to hurt that stuff. Yeah. That's clean line. And then you can put the logos on all that stuff too with oh, the router? We can route it. I didn't throw it into whatever you want. Hmm. And then the one just above it, now that I'm looking good, 
That's what we call our impact patterns. Yeah. Now, I like that. That's where we did that out of uh, lasering it. Okay. So the impact pattern, explain what that what that looks like. It almost kind of looks like your logo here, how it, how it kind of intersects. Mm-hmm. But as far as grip, it's, that you're never going to slip on that. Like that, that, I mean, just if you took your hand and went down all of these things, that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. I like that a Very lot. Neat. It, it, it has a nice clean look, but it also, it, it's got grip, like such incredibly good grip yeah. on it. I wish you could have seen it on a boat. We, uh, as, uh, COVID hit in April, April 3rd, as you remember. I don't yeah. know. You're li- you're well, I, I consider but- it I consider it March 12th uh, because that was the day that the NBA shut down. That's and it. I remember my friend telling me, he was like, the NBA shut down. I was like, no, they didn't. The NBA didn't shut. You can't shut the NBA down. He's like, yes, I turn the TV on and let's check it out. The, the NBA shut down. And that was the day that I knew I was like, oh. This thing is different than I thought it was going to be. But that's when I consider it, March 12th. Well, I consider it Major League when the governor made us send everybody home. Uh You know what I mean? When you bring a a company of 700 people to its knees and there's about 10 of us left around staring at each other, you know that it's it's for real. And uh, I'm not one that does good going home and, and just saying, oh, well, we'll be back whenever we can. Right. I, uh, eight of us stayed around the office to make sure everything functioned that needed to function and all that. And I'd be sitting in there thinking as, as we did back in 08, when things got bad, as I'd sit there and think of what am I going to do to get the heck out of this mess? And then it came across my mind of what am I going to do? Because I know we're not going to have IBEX this year, IBEX International Boat Builders Exhibition and Conference. And we have a pretty big booth there. It's a 40 by 80, a 40 by 50 foot booth. That's a pretty big booth for that show. And uh, really show that's where we're showing the boat builders. And uh, I said, this isn't going to be good. We won't have Ibex. And I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And so I didn't say a whole lot to more than one or two people. And then about May when it was starting to look like "Mm, we may need to start thinking. And uh, I sat down our national sales manager and some other people. And I said, all right, here's my idea. And we took this piece of real estate right out here mm-hmm. It's what i call the most wasted piece of real estate in rome georgia <laughs> i mean who would ever have that size of a lobby within a lobby and uh so we took that in this showroom and turned all of that into adding to the showroom and we had eight i mean uh, three boats leaning against that far wall now these are not full-size boats these are boats we made to do and and we had that impact pattern all over one of them okay we had the had all that there and all about reflex on that end. Then we had a vinyl wall and all about vinyl there. Then this is our sensation wall. And then here's all of our steering wheels. And then you get into the consoles and you had other stuff through here. And that was kind of a virtual boat show. You guys put your own. No, we literally uh, flew customers in. Okay. On private plane. Um, We sanitized the plane every day. We picked up somebody, brought them here, had them all masked up, had the sanitizing. I don't know if there's any of it around here, but we had sanitizing packets for them. And Syntec's known for our peanuts we send out every year at Christmas. We had individual packs of peanuts, and um, we made sure everything was, you know, at lunchtime was wrapped up right and all. And we had customers here from anywhere from four to six hours, seven hours. Wow. All day long. And did better. And then we did the same thing in the RV world in our showroom in Goshen, Indiana. Huh. 
we had just already started, you know, cleaning it up and expanding it. And so we did the same there. And then we did also a traveling one in manufactured housing. And so you would just go to the customer? Mm-hmm. No, we, well, that one, we just went to the customer. The rest of them, we brought the customers right. to us right. in a safe way. Wow. And as far as we know, nobody caught the COVID from us. Mm-hmm. That's wild. You know, what a weird year. <clears throat> I mean, man, you could go back and say that a million times, but I mean, it was just a, a bizarre time. And, and, but what is, what's crazy to me is that, uh, so how many, uh, certainly there've been tons of people that, that really suffered financially, tons of people that lost their jobs, tons of people that, that, uh, you know, their company went under bit under completely, but mm-hmm. there were others that did really well. Boats. Yeah. Boats. RVs. Yeah. Boats and RVs. UTVs. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and you can wonder why, but I mean, the reasons are obvious. I mean, it's yours. Now, you're not sharing it with anybody. You're, mm-hmm. you, you need to get outside. You cancel your trip to wherever, and you spend time on the lake next to you That's not or on the ocean. I, I believe you know, that. Because, well, Italy's in the talk of uh, locking everything down again through Easter. Italy. Man, that's that was the that was the precursor. I remember seeing these these pictures on TV about you know um, people were all locked up in their in their uh, they'd have those little balconies and they're mm-hmm. they're waving at people like that. And we're like, what are they doing? Like, uh, but it was shortly shortly over here. Italy this- has got a uh, a lot low, older population than we have. Mm-hmm. See, I'm in Italy. Well, before COVID hit. I'm in Italy about six to eight times a year. Really? Well, we own a steering wheel plant right. over there. <laughs> yeah. But so, you got to go there. You got to go there eight times a year. Six to eight times. Uh huh. Do you like Italy? Well, after you've been that many times, <laughs> kind of like it's not fun to get on that airplane and fly for, you know, if it's nonstop one, which you can do in the summertime, it's still almost, what, 11 hours, 11 right. and a half hours. Yeah. It's pretty tough duty. Well, my sister got married over there. And we, we spent, I don't know, three weeks in Italy. It was, it was a good time. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, Italy's beautiful. It really it is. is. It's a nice place. We're up in a pretty area. We're on the Valpolicella region of the, you know, in the wine region up okay. there near Verona. Uh-huh. Um, that's where the steering wheel plants in a town called Tregnago. So the, it, did it start there in, in cars? Like the steering wheels in cars, um, because well, Italy's known for zone you know of, nice sports yeah. cars and stuff. Italy, that zone of Italy is the steering wheels as Dalton is the carpet. Really, and uh, it's real weird because RV and Elk Cart is the RVs as Dalton is the carpet. And How does so that happen to, to to where one place like that, like like because you got all these people that service each other, and uh, it started with the you know the Ferraris and that kind of thing making nice different wheels and. It just started in that mode. And, you know, that's where a lot of high-end, you know, vehicles come from then in those days. And a lot of steering wheels started in that zone. Hmm. And uh, Goosey Italia started there because you can start the plant and you got, you know, in the zone you have somebody that could do the urethane and somebody could do the leather wrapping, somebody could do the aluminum cutting, somebody literally today, um, we do all of our own leather wrapping, all of our own urethane, and we do a lot of it ourselves. But we still have to send the, the stainless out to uh, stainless pour because mm-hmm. I mean that's kind of different. That's not something we yeah. need to get into. But is that in Italy where um, they where the you plan pour? Is and they do it either there or do it in China. Mm. 
Um, but it's in what they call the casting region, um, about two and a half hours out of Verona. And uh, it's where Beretta, Benelli, all of them are in that zone. Yeah. And you walk in the plant with our steering wheel coming down the line, and there's guns coming down next to it. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Wow. They are. I mean, that must be where the craftsmen have just, I mean, if mm-hmm. that's what they do, I guess that's how a little area like that develops is like, that's what they do. That's all they do. Everybody continues to get better and better and better at it. And then all of a sudden, this little area is the best in the world. Like the guns that they make it. there are mm-hmm. some of the best in the world. You got it. An Italian firearm. That's, that's mainly in the plant that we do our steering wheels is where Beretta, uh, Benelli, and Sabati come from. Mm. So I've got a Borelli, uh, uh, a Borelli. I've got, I got a whole bunch of Borellis. <laughs> I got a Beretta. Uh, that was, I had, I bought my son a, a youth Beretta and he, he fired that gun until he was probably 21 years old. It was, it looked like a little, little toy gun, but I'd be like, don't you want another gun? He's like, no, I shoot this one good. And he, and I mean, it was, it was tiny little, I mean, he just fished, he hunted that gun all his mm-hmm. life and he could shoot that one well. And then, um, now we all have the uh, the Benelli Monte Feltro. That's my favorite mm-hmm. shotgun. I love that gun. I have some of the Super Black Eagles. Yeah, well, we got those two for the bigger <laughs> for the bigger quarry. <laughs> well, I doubt it because I like the way their slug barrels hooked on. Uh huh. And so that's what we we. I never fired a slug barrel out of mine. I really? No. Do you hunt deer with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I just we just hunt deer with a rifle. Well, I can take this apart. Uh huh. And you're everything's still connected when I pull it apart. The okay. scope and all stays on that slug barrel. Okay. Then I can put the bird barrel on, go hunting, gotcha. come back, pull it apart, put that back on and go deer hunting and don't have to worry about reciting everything. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a big advantage. Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah. And then you then that's a real multi use gun because you can you can turkey hunt and you can duck hunt, you can slug barrel, you can do all whatever you want. Yeah. In the same day. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. So you like all of that? Like, what's your favorite kind of hunting? Um, well, I loved quail hunting growing up, but uh-huh. we just don't have the quail, and I'm not a now, good. Where did you grow up? Here. And so, when you grew up in Rome, Georgia, you had quail here, wild quail, big time. Yeah, because my dad used to hunt quail in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and and they were they were up there. Now, what do you um, anticipate, or or what do you think the reason is that that quail are now only in South Georgia. I mean, well, the ones in South Georgia are mainly planted. Huh. They're just kick and shoot birds, what I call them. Really? Um, there's still wild quail here. I heard one yesterday. You know, they'll start whistling this time mm-hmm. of year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still some here, but they're not like they were. And they say a lot of it goes back to the chemicals that DDT they sprayed and on stuff. cotton and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, Killed a lot of them, and also we got a lot of coyotes now that we didn't have when I was growing That's up. Correct, I didn't never see a coyote yep. growing up, and that it just wipes out stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. we have one place on our farm. My wife refers to as rabbit heel, and you'll see rabbits, see rabbits, and then all of a sudden you just don't see them anymore. That's because the coyotes clean them out again. Mm. And rabbits got that habit, so you know they'll <laughs> replenish quick. But it's pretty tough. It's it's yeah. coyotes are a problem. Yeah. There's and they're they're everywhere. They're a really interesting animal. I don't know if you've have you read any books about them or anything. Oh, what, yeah. what they what they do? They're just they're just such an interesting animal because they they're almost made to survive. Like they are a survivor. Mm-hmm. Like if you start 
if if you have that den on your on your land or whatever and you start shooting some that, they'll take off in every direction and start start i mean they'll leave some there but then they'll send out mating pairs in every direction to 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 if make you sure were to that say bring your population down by 20% they'll produce that much more next year to get them back where they need mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. there that's the way they work yeah and we have to trap out some for cattle because they will come after cattle from time to time. Yeah. Especially during calving season where they have all the afterbirth smell and all that around and they'll come into the herd then and then there'll be a baby calf that isn't doing real well the first day or two and boom, there's done. Mm. Um, but we'll have to fight them all the time. And usually once they get a taste of it, you better get to killing them. Right. Um, but that's, we only will trap them mainly. They're hard to trap too. They're smart. Very. <laughs> I mean, a coyote is a smart animal. How do you trap them? One of those slam yeah. traps. But you got to be super them. careful about the scent and everything else. Oh yeah, you super put careful. Some dirt on it, and yeah, and put some stinky stuff on it. And but we've got a few. Our biggest problem hit us on our farm was our, was hogs. Hogs? They already here. <clears throat> we somebody brought them in because mm-hmm. we. We had never seen them. We'd seen signs of them a little bit here and there. And then all of a sudden we were absolutely eat up with them, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're like a lot like a coyote. They'll have, you know, four litters a year and they'll have eight or 10, 12 baby piglets a year or excuse me, a litter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we ended up in two years time killing, we trapped and killed and everything. We got one of those trap doors. We saw it, uh, the Sunbelt Ag Expo and built the pen and uh, we did all that and got about 70 something in two years mm. and uh, pretty much got them off our place and probably must've gotten the population that was in that zone because mm. we rarely will even see a sign of them now. Really? What, what do you think somebody's motivation was to bring, bring them in? Oh, well deer season's over. We can hunt hogs. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's that simple. Mm-hmm. Just something to hunt. Because they, they would, Send them up from Florida to them. Mm-hmm. They turn them loose. Well, next thing you know, they're all over the place, and they run the rivers. And I'm on the river, and so it's just not, you know, it's not a good thing. They'll tear your farm up. Tell me what they, uh, what they do uh, to your farm that is damaging. Um, they do like rooting. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. And they'll root. Oh, they're they're. T- it's like you took a big tiller and went right through your fields, just destroying them. You can't drive a tractor across it hardly when it's done. Mm. And then you basically have to plow it up and replant everything. Now, are they damaging to the to the cattle? I mean, that way they're, no, they're going the across. They don't have. Yeah, that's grass that they mm-hmm. that they can't eat. And right. If you can't get the tractor across there, then mm-hmm. that's a problem. Do they, when they're rooting like that, does that? I mean, does that affect a cow in any other way? No, no. Just, just a, a competition. Just more competition that shouldn't yep. be there. Yeah, you don't want them on your farm. <laughs> no, and uh, um, they have really been making a very slow move north. Um, to my knowledge, I mean, I don't, I don't know that much about hogs, but it seems like they're making a slow. South well, yeah, I mean, that's what that's the idea, right? <laughs> but then I love deer hunting, so I used to do it a lot. I don't do it that much, and then. Uh, recently because i had some health issues it wouldn't allow me to climb a tree anymore for mm. a while and then this last year i my new son-in-law talked me into going again and so i started back and got a nice one this year nice 
Right on. New son-in-law? Yeah. How new? <laughs> um, he's two years into it now. Uh-huh. How's that going? Good. Good. Yeah. I guess. I'm not there. They're well, uh, it, four hours away. At least you got a hunting buddy out of it. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good. It's We got the deer. Yeah. Two daggum many of them, but. Do you manage that? Like, uh. Do you, do you, how do you manage your deer population? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. I mean, obviously you know what you're doing. You, you, uh, you manage your land well, but what are you looking for, uh, in managing your deer? Well, we need to probably get as many as 20 does off of it this year. Mm-hmm. And we only shoot, uh, big deer. What do you consider a big deer? 10 pointer wider, 10 mm-hmm. pointer, 10 pointer more wider than 15 inch. Mm-hmm. I accidentally shot one this year that was eight point, but it'll never be more than eight point. But it had a 19 inch spread. Yeah. yeah. Was, I thought, you know, big as it was, I just knew it was, it was the guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I shot that one. And then 30 minutes later, the guy came by too. It was like, oh, he boom. Yeah. And I left it because it was headed toward where I dropped my son in law off and he never saw it. Never saw it. Do you, uh, when when you were you said you were really into hunting, then you kind of backed off a little bit. Now you're getting back into it. Um, have you seen things change with the with the cameras and the way that you can watch your watch your land? And we got two or three cameras this time. And I'll be honest with you, I may have looked at pictures twice. Really, I just don't have time for that. Yeah, I I don't. He does it more than I do, but I just. I just don't have time to keep up with it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know what we got. I mean, I can ride through the farm. I see them. Yeah. I don't need to count them. I know if we got too many. I can see it in one field. You know what I mean? Do you have to get turkeys? Turkeys. I think you got more turkey in our area than we got dove now. Really? Oh, I saw a bunch on the on the drive up here. They were all standing out in the field and on a rainy day. Um, I came around the hill. I came around what rabbit hill that I just told you. came up the hill and around, and then we got a, oh, about a hundred foot long concrete foot feed trough you know fence line feed trough that we feed in <clears throat> and uh i started laughing so hard i had to call the guy that works on the farm and said, you're not believing this i ain't getting my phone out in time to get a picture there was at least 20 turkey in the feed trough <laughs> in the feed trough <laughs> i'm like yeah but kidding me. they're smart animal they know where the food is <laughs> and i just about died i was like Okay, this is gonna be like cheating if somebody came up here. That's right. That's that. There might is there. I wonder if there's a law against that. Well, no, because I didn't put it out for them. Right. So it was really not. But I wouldn't let somebody hunt over the food trough. Right. <laughs> that's just not. That's not sportsman. No, that's not very sportsmanlike. That's not very sportsmanlike at all. I like turkey hunting. I think that turkey hunting is a lot like permit fishing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's you got to put the sneak on them and. Uh, it's a good animal. I hunt. love turkey hunting, but it's the wrong time of year for me. Yeah. Why, what do you like to do that time of the year? Like to or got to do? Got to. <laughs> well, let me see. That's cutting hay, getting everything ready. We got babies. We're having to wean them off, having to do all the tattooing, vaccinating, it just one thing after another. Mm. This weekend, we have two herds still we're bringing up and uh, putting cedars in and getting them set up, about 60 head to be able to put uh, embryos in them and another two weeks wow how do you manage how do you manage your time seems like you got you know you're running this place (laughs) well i know well there's some people manage 24 hours a lot better than others seems like you're seems like you're putting in a tremendous amount of 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 efficiency into your 24 hours well as my wife will tell you the smile comes back on my face 
this past Sunday. Daylight savings. Daylight time savings. Back. <laughs> <laughs> I could get home and have some time in the afternoon. There you go. Um, you know, once it hits in November, they shut down daylight savings time and go back to standard. And it's dark before I get home. I hate it. I mm-hmm. hate it. Yeah. I mean, it just there's nothing I can do. It's dark. Uh, there's talk about maybe not having and I'm daylight savings have it, times. Well, there's talk about only having daylight savings time too. Right. So I mean, you know not, you know, I, well, I mean, either way, just not doing this thing where every swap now and then you swap it. it out. I'm hoping that they'll come and do it where it's, uh, the, the daylight savings time is, is what they stay with. Yeah. I mean, is there a real push for that? Um, well in Georgia, where are you from? You're from Tennessee. Tennessee. That's uh-huh. what I thought. In Georgia, um, the Congress, state Congress just voted the. One one side of it, the Congress side, I guess you say, voted for it to be use standard time, and the Senate voted for it to be daylight savings. So it's still in the in the in the realm of they don't know what they're going to do. Do you know what the origin of that is? As a farmer, like it had something to do with farming, right? No, it had to do with school. School children, mm-hmm. like I either it, it, like they didn't want their kids going to school or coming home in the dark, right? right. Mm-hmm. And but but it doesn't really make that no. much sense because you come home and it's dark, but it's a light in the morning. But then when it switches, it's dark in the morning and it's, it's light in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I so, mean, it's dark now till about seven. I mean, it's starting to get light here at seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but it stays daylight. I want to say last night it was daylight till ah, that wasn't a good day to really do it. Cause we had some pretty heavy clouds yeah. and storms, but It'll be, you know, right now it should be about 8, 8.15. But then as summer gets toward June, you know, and that's June 21st is the longest day. It'll mm-hmm. be daylight to about 9.30 or 10. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah. Get a lot done. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can get home and do something. <laughs> I mean, that's what's nice. I love it. I mean, you go fishing even. I right. Mean, it's, you know, problem is in wintertime, it's dark all the time. You can't ever do it. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you lived in Alaska. Mm-mm, nope. Mm. <laughs> or the when, other way, when, when you, you went go up there, what time were you there? I was in the uh, in the summertime, and it was probably about uh, July, June, July, and um, then I, there was pretty far north. But then when I went to um, Canada to go pike pike fishing for mm-hmm. the first time ever. We went to a place called Reindeer Lake and that was so far north that it just barely got dusk and then it started getting light again. Um we were over in uh you know where Lake Iliamna is? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um we would we I've been there gosh, probably about ten times or more. And uh the first time I ever went I went in October. And uh, it would be, you would have to quit fishing so you could fly back and land before dark. Mm-hmm. And they usually wanted you in there at least 20 minutes, be- I mean, 30 minutes before it started getting dark because it got dark. Mm. You know, there's no street lights. There's right. no, you know what I mean? Right. It's dark. And uh, that's, you know, you're pushing that and you could almost feel the time changing. It's changing so fast at that point because by December 21st, it's dark all day and night. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I found that I loved going in June. I love going on June 8th. Why? What happens in June Opening 8th? Opening day. Opening day? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, you're right there against the summer solstice, so you're getting full daylight. 
And I can remember you go to bed, you know, at 10 o'clock, you'd say, guys, we got to go to bed. And you're sitting out on the, on the wall at the lake. Uh, we were on six mile lake at that, just up above Lake Iliamna uh, on the new Halen river goes down and in. And, uh, we were on, uh, the, the lake there and you sit on the wall and drinking beer or chewing tobacco or whatever and get up and go to your room. And it's like going in at four o'clock now. I know. I didn't know what and, to do uh, when I saw that. You know, when we would time. get there, I'd usually have customers and I'd go hand each one of them in the room, you know, cause there's two of them together. I'd hand them a handful of, uh, clothespins. Um, and they said, what do I need that for? I said, when you come to bed tonight, you're going to know, cause you got to get those, dra- you know, the drapes, even though they're daylight right. lockers, they got to get together. Right. Cause one little crack and it's like daylight. You know? I know. And so I'd give them the pins and they close it down and you'd have a good dark room. And, uh, if you got up in the middle of the night to go shake hands with Shorty, you would, you'd look out the window and look this way and look that way and try to decide if it was, you know, closer to morning because still you can see anything. I mean, it's still daylight. It's, yeah. It just looks like, you know, it's dusk, like a cloudy day at that point. And, yeah. You know, probably doesn't do that more than two hours at that time. And then you get up early at five o'clock and, uh, it's big time daylight. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I know. Off you're gone fishing. Mm-hmm. And you fish all day long. It's like the, you could just, the first time when we went way up to up north, um, I was, what, a senior in high school. And, man, my dad, we had a long trip up there. And he was like, I got to go to bed. We went fishing. And I remember catching my first pike and running up taking it running up to the to the bed dad look that's what he woke up to uh but i was like he's like you're fishing it's three o'clock in the morning i'm like yeah it's light out there we're we're killing them it's awesome i wanted to show you this one he's like oh cool yeah i'll see you in the morning <laughs> yeah you know what you didn't do this tomorrow <laughs> yeah dude we were wiped out because then they would take us you know uh trolling for lake trout or something and and that's a lot different than making a lot of cash you're over there just dozing off well see what i loved about june up there is in june i'm more dry fly fishing mm. and streamer fishing and all but you know after the the salmon come up and start laying their eggs and all everybody goes to bead fishing mm-hmm. you know one time you're casting and trying to hit the holes in the pockets and the other time you're just flipping a bead up and down mm-hmm. the river and i just that doesn't thrill me a whole lot so the rainbows before the salmon get there the rainbows are acting like Regular trout. Oh, yeah. Like just oh, just yeah. eating, mm-hmm. eating hatches and you, and you fish for them just like a regular trout. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than be over on the Telerik and using a dry fly and hooking into a 30-incher. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, when you say a dry fly, would you ever use mice and mice patterns? Um, and, yeah, we use some mice patterns. That's yeah. pretty cool. Probably the most exciting day I ever had. We, uh, it was the last trip I had up there about four years ago, and my son was with me on that trip. And I'd been with customers all week long. And he said, I want to fish with you today. I said, okay. So he and then one of our big customers were with us. And I said, look, you're going to be on your own if that's okay. And I said, well, we'll be all right here in the same. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine, Bill. So we finally, we woke up and it was real foggy. I don't know if you've been up there on one of those days. Uh, well, uh, so yes, we ended kind up of. laying there, you know, nine o'clock finally gets there from been up since five and Finally, it's broken enough to, all right, we're going. I said, all right. So we load up and we're headed to the Copper River, but we're going way up the Copper River and going to land and blow up the rafts and go down. Nice. There's two places you have to lower your raft off the cliff because it's, you know, falls you can't go over. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started out 
and I looking out the window and Mm-mm, this ain't good. And they said, what do you mean? I said, there's fog up through these valleys. We're not going in. And uh, I kept thinking about it. And I said, you know what? Old Willie up there is going to tell us that he's going to run back and fuel up. He thinks he can get under that fog. I said, guys, I'm not playing that trick. Y'all can do what you want to do. I'll just fish from the lodge. I'm not playing that trick. It wasn't five minutes. Willie's getting over there and he starts. He kind of says, boys, I'm going to go back and refuel. I think we can get under this. I said, mm-mm. <laughs> You've been there before. You heard that story. So we fly back to the lodge and we start getting out. And I said, Willie, I said, you can fuel up, but we're not going fishing, I don't think. They can decide what they want to do, but I'm not. I'm going to stay here. Nope, we're going to stay with Bill. They said, oh, I'm going to do it. I said, mm-mm. I said, go get your waders on and get your get your rod. I said, you, you get in the boat with us. Okay. So Will and I look at the guy that was going to be with us. says, look, you need to go back and get your your dry fly rods. Don't bring anything but dry fly rods. You know, get your lighter weight stuff. We're going over here dry fly fishing today. So we went across the river to the Teleric, across the bay, excuse me, across Six Mile Lake to the bay, uh, to the uh, Teleric. And we started dry fly fishing. My cheeks hurt so bad, I couldn't even think. Mm-hmm. I mean, we laughed more that day than I'd ever laughed. I promise you, we caught 150 piece, uh, fish a piece that day. Nice. Graylands and rainbows. I mean, they would come up. Here's your fly. They'd come up, miss it, go up, and come back down again. Oh, that's cool. I mean, it was amazing. He had brought also his, uh, oh, my gosh, uh, you know, that has a, no reel with a rod. Uh, a, a tenkara. 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 Tenkara, yeah. tenkara, whatever mm-hmm. it is. He brought one of those with him. And we'd swap around, play with it, and you would just pound. I tell you, one of those big rainbows on one of those oh, tenkara rods would be about to pull it out of your hand. we landed that day was 20, 22 inch. Yeah. It wasn't the big ones. Yeah, but that's that's good fish. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And they're hot Especially up there. Especially on that. Oh, yeah. They're uh, hot up there. So what kind of dry flies were you using that they were so excited about that time of the year? Caddis or? We use caddis, nymph. We use all kinds of stuff. Whatever. I mean, yeah. I mean, just we hungry. just keep swapping around. And, you know, and all you had to do was get it there and twitch it, and boom, here they came. Nice. It's like, gosh. Nice. I mean, it, you just laughed at the stunts they were doing to get after that fly. So when you, you're obviously, uh, that that's a day that, that you remember really well. Do you have any other other days that, that oh really stick gosh, out yeah. in your mind of, of something <laughs> that you've, you've done? Probably one was a peacock bass fishing trip. You ever done those? Only in Florida. Oh, well, that's different. Trust me. Yeah, I, I I understand it's different. First time I ever went, we went to Venezuela. That was my last. I said, never doing this again. What didn't you like about Venezuela? Um, we were very, very, very rustic. Uh huh. Very rustic. Anybody get sick? Uh, yeah, about all of us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the 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 mo of that trip. You know, it was pretty rough on us. I know a lot of people that have gone down mm-hmm. that area, and everybody gets sick. The water's terrible. A very and uh. Well, we flew in on that one, and it was we got stuck in the town. Oh my gosh, San Carlos, Rio de Negro, yeah. That's where we were getting into the boats, and they wouldn't let us go. Really? Oh, you know, they had machine guns pointed all at Ooh. us and everything, and finally they let us go. And I mean, by then we'd been fed this and that, and I'm sure that's where we picked it up, and all but one of us got it. Really? And I mean, it was middle of the night. I'm up and here comes two others like this isn't pretty. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, that was literally, we got down that 
I got talked into going back, and we went into Brazil and had some great, great fishing. And uh, I remember we pulled in this one place. We were flying in and, uh, you know, on the float plane, flying to wherever the boats are at that point. And we used to stay on the Amazon Queen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I remember that boat. No, that was a trip was- that I always wanted to take. <laughs> I looked at it in the magazines and, and dreamed about going on that boat. Well, we, we flew beyond where we always had gone before. We used to go into uh, Barcelos, I think is the name of the town. Mm. And this time we kept going. And the guy said, oh, we're going to land at San Isabel. It's like, okay. Well, we landed right there in the river near the queen. And the queen was stuck on a rock. Uh-oh. And so we got in that thing, and you're just thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, what are we going to do? We're stuck right here the whole time. They didn't even tell us. You know, you'd think they'd tell us before you get there. And we went out one day fishing and fished all day long. And this guy may catch two. I fished all day and never caught a fish. Never had a hit. And you know if you got a hit with a peak. Oh, yeah. And I came back in just raising cane. And I said, look. I don't know how long this boat's been stuck here, but obviously they've seen a lot of lures thrown at them in this zone. I said, I, whoever you're going to put me with tomorrow, I want to get on that boat and go back one of these tributaries, and I want to go back for over an hour till I get outside the zone where they fished it to death mm-hmm. already. And then we can start fishing and keep going away from here. So they loaded up two extra big things of gas into the boat. And uh, he made another boat go with us because he knew I was not happy. And we went and we rode. And, oh, my gosh, the wildlife we saw that trip. Oh, gosh, getting back in there away from where anything else had happened. There were all these McCall parrots, you know, just everywhere. Just unbelievable. And we stopped and started fishing. There was a fall, you know, up in in the area right in the point kind of behind us. And I slung in there. And hooked into a good one. And the guy said to the other guy, I said, throw in there, throw in there. He slung in there and hooked into a good one too. So here we are, have two good peacocks on. And we finally get them to the boat and kept them apart. Now that was the hard part. Mm-hmm. Finally get them to the boat. Mine was a half a pound more. <laughs> his was a half an inch long. No, excuse me. His was a half a pound more. Mine was a half an inch longer. Just what they'd eaten that day, you yeah. know what I mean? Both of them were over 24 pounds. Nice. Unbelievable catch. Man, that's awesome. Catch. And we caught fish up there all day long. So did that, the, the, what, uh, what did you do when the rat, when you came back to the boat and everybody else that, wanted to go up there? <laughs> like, we only have so much gas. <laughs> they were not happy. You know, that's the, that's the, that's the MO at a lot of these places where you have a lodge and you have guides that all have kind of the same type of boat, same horsepower engine and everything. And there's like a, there's like a little bubble around that lodge where they fish every single day. And if you tell them, let's take two cans of gas today. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. If you, you pay for the gas, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you came all the way down there. But if you can get outside of that bubble, Mm -hmm. it's game on. We got in that first year I ever went down, not the Venezuela one. And we were out there fishing and, uh, it was getting toward 3.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and the guide started up this creek, I'm going to call it, mm-hmm. and uh, started having to cut our way through with a machete. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the hell are we doing? Get out, get out. Well, help me. 
and we pushed the boat over. It was a nitro. Um, I want to say it had about a 90, 100 horse on it, maybe. We finally crack into Lagoon on the other side. And we fished there for maybe 10 minutes. He said, we got to go. Because we had to be back by a certain time. I was like, oh. And we had hammered those fishing there. So I get back to the boat and I said, buddy, we want to go back where we were when we ended the day. He said, well, I don't know where that was. I said, no, but that guy does. So we got back in and I said, we're going to get to go back there. And he goes, that's okay, because I don't speak much English. And we got in there and we came to that same lagoon and he turned and went on down and started chopping our way through another one. I'm like, where in the hell is this guy taking us? And I'm talking about cutting through trees. Mm-hmm. We pulled that boat back into that lagoon, the next lagoon, and started fishing. And we hammered them. Never caught one over 20 pounds, but we had everything from 10 to 20, and most of them two or three times. Dang. Just pounded fish in there. That's awesome. Unbelievable. That's awesome. And, I mean, you're sitting there at lunch. We were sitting under a shade tree, and I was eating a sandwich, and this thing rolls right out behind us. And I jump up, and I grab mine, and I throw the wood chopper, and I pull it twice, and it strikes at it, and I yank it two or three more times. And I just set it down and set my foot on it because you can't turn your rod loose because that right. thing's oh, still yeah. floating out there. Uh-huh. And I grabbed my other rod, that rod that had a long A bomber on it, and I threw that out there and made three pulls, and he nailed it. Nice. And it was it was the nineteen pounder we caught that day. That's awesome. Is there anything <laughs> better than a wood chopper? Oh, like, where are you out though? Woo. I know they're hard to throw, but man, I've got an old tackle box full of stuff like that with my that my or my grandfather's lures. And that thing, just with the propellers on the front, and that's perfect for those peacocks, And man. those peacocks will destroy them. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I got a mount of one in my office. We'll check it out. We'll check it out. That and a nice rainbow. Uh-huh. <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask you, we kind of got off of this, this, uh, but as you're making uh, the foam flooring for the for the bass boats and then you're putting the logos on it and, and, you know, competition is too. And it's becoming a, it's becoming a little more, uh, it's certainly not, there's certainly not just one guy doing it on the tour. There's a few now. Do you anticipate that that's the way all boats are going to look like in the future or is carpet still Um, got a, not all, but well, carpet literally, uh, we've after Oh eight, Carpet started disappearing. And what replacing with what? Um, you see all this product right here, the sensations? Uh-huh. That's a woven PVC. Uh-huh. On all pontoons. Right. On some bass boats even. Um, that's what they put down now. Hmm. And but it then, sure, sure does seem like the the foam flooring is perfect for the bass fishermen. It's great, but they got to finish the flooring underneath it if they're going to use that. Because mm. most of it, you can't wrap over the lid. Mm-hmm. So the lid has to be fully finished. Oh. It can't just be a black lid underneath there and they, you know, it's wrapped and covered. And that's the way saltwater boats are done. You're saltwater correct. boats, mm-hmm. you know, fit and finish top and bottom of the hatch on well, a good boat. Most of them have no carpet, no nothing. Right. And they start that way, right. but not bass boats. Right. And so you got to have it to where it's made for that product. Mm. And there's more and more and more going to it, but it's still a long way. But that could be very, you could see a lot of resistance to that from the boat manufacturer because Mm -hmm. that's a big deal to to finish the the top and the side of the hatch. And that's a big deal. The odd part is a lot of the center consoles, 
they'll push that boat on through and make the aftermarket take care of it. Hmm. They don't want the hassle of it. Right. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, I because then the customer <laughs> the customer gets to get it exactly the way they want with their logos, their whatever they want. Yeah, because most of it's the mainstream, you know, peak line kind of thing. You know? mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, man. The next one I get is going to be that impact. That's going to be, I, I like that, just the impact you with logos. Again. I'm telling you, man, that is <laughs> that is, that is the best. It would clean the easiest, I think, and it would also, um, it's the grip. I just love the grip. I don't want anybody slipping on my boat, right? And you, mm-hmm. when, when people slip, is not necessarily just slipping. It's there's somebody spraying sunscreen, oh, and yeah. that stuff gets there. That's slicker now shit when that, when that, when that hits a little water and you get some sunscreen on the deck, I don't want anybody going down. And that's the thing about the the, the pool deck too. You ever put any of this on the side of a pool? You know why? Uh-uh. Because it's only 40 by 80 inch sheets. Oh, well. Technology hadn't brought it to where it's big enough yet. Mm-hmm. We're working on something now that we can do it possibly in roll form mm. and possibly do it uh, eight and a half foot wide. Wow, if you did that in roll form, you'd have that, and that would be a, a good gym floor too. Possibly. I mean, because they Not have basketball that. Basketball. They have that. No, no, no. But like workout gym, mm-hmm. and like uh, yep. they have that uh, rubber, that rolled rubber. rubber. Yeah, that's what that's what a lot of gyms will put that down, and it's. But if it had just a little more cushion to it, then it'd almost be like a wrestling mat. We're fighting them all the time, and literally COVID probably shut it. You know, shut us down on getting to where we were already moving. And then, in that direction. But COVID's had it tough to be able to communicate because most foam like that's made in the Asian countries. Mm. Most all of our PE foam comes out of uh, out of Vietnam. Mm. Now, we're talking with them about putting a foam plant here in the U.S. possibly. Um, this foam, the one we use, is the one like your snow skier. Mm-hmm. That's what the Oh, my boys are in. snow skiers. That's the foam in their ski boots probably. Right. That's that is same right foam. there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. These people That's supply cool. a ton going into that market. Yeah. Well, they got, they're going to supply a lot more going into the boat market because, first of all, a foot's only that big, and, <laughs> and you could do a whole deck at a time. But I like it, man. I really, really like it. And it's cool to have this display here because you can really put your hands on it and feel all the different ones. And, and there's a little bit of, even in just the design, or maybe it's even in the color, there's just a little difference in some of the firmness oh, yeah. of, of this. But, man, I, I felt that impact. I was like, man, that is, See, what for my purposes, that's... send you some bumper pads, too. Well, yeah, no, those and are, those are great. the other way because you can get, we put a softer foam in the midsection uh-huh. there. Uh-huh. And it has the hard hard on the outside because you you know you're going to have to get torn up if you don't right. it's between the boats. But that shows you really what the product is. Mm-hmm. Well, we got a lot of boats in the water too. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll definitely put those to use if you got them. Well, man, I I enjoyed getting to know you. I really did. You, you're interesting, dude. <laughs> I didn't you, talk your ears off too much. Well, I mean, I'm a podcaster as well as TV guy, but this is. Uh, you know, podcast is all about conversation. It's all about getting to know somebody and, and, uh, everybody's got interesting stories and everybody's got something else that they do. And you, uh, what impresses me the most is just the the way that you manage your time. You know, you, you, like you said, there's only 24 hours in a day, but you're managing to cram a whole bunch of stuff into those 24 hours. I like to. Yeah. I mean, it's like this morning, I'm up at four forty-five, and go. Do you ever sit around? What do you do? Tell me that. You go, what does your day look like? You get up at 445. Go to the gym. And uh, I do that Tuesdays and Thursdays. I and was what? getting up and walking, but 
when I had these health issues, and then I had to have my hip replaced about October. Mm-hmm. That kind of. Mm. What kind of rehab did you have on that? Um, it wasn't too bad because I was already in pretty good shape when it hit. Yeah. Um, but I was, oh gosh, they uh, they cut on me that morning at eight o'clock, and I was home uh, that afternoon at five. Mm. Walking the next day. I was home. I was walking that day. Yeah. And I was back at work one week later, and I was uh, back in the gym six weeks later. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. My dad had his hip replaced, uh, which didn't quite go as well as yours, but uh, it, it was a while back. I mean, those things get better every year. Mm-hmm. The, the whole process gets better, but he kind of, he, he sen- tends to think it was not as advertised, <laughs> but, but it, it, it did all right for him. He, he, he's, you know, he's 83 and, and he, but, but he, he had his knee replaced and he had a hip replaced and the knee went well and the hip, he had a little trouble with that, but it was a breeze. Uh, literally mine. I thought I had a pull, a pinch nerve, pull muscle or something mm-hmm. in my backside. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was, I kept moving along with it, you know, and would kind of just favorite some. And then all of a sudden it got to where we'd come to a hill. We're fixing to walk up. And I'm like, uh, the guy said, you make it up that you've been doing that. I said, I'm not worried about getting up there. I don't think I can get back down Mm -hmm. because it would kill me coming down a hill. And so I went to the doctor. He literally works out with me. He's in the group that we do in that more every, every Tuesdays and Thursdays and went and saw him. He told me, just come in and let me x-ray it and tell you what's wrong. And he's, "Mm." he's, I don't know how you're standing this. So Mm, he gave me a shot that lasted about two weeks. And then I had to beg him to give me another one two weeks later. Because we were starting this show. I said, Scott, I can't do it until October after this is all done. I know, I know. So he said, all right, I'll do it. But this is it. We got to go ahead and schedule something. So, okay. So I made it for three weeks that time. Mm-hmm. And that last week of doing this all here, I, I was hurting bad, real bad. I was already to a cane. I was hurting so bad with big customers with me. And um, I was going to do it late October because I was going to leave here and go to Indiana to that one. And I was like, I don't know if I can make it through the airport. And so I called and let them handle that up there, make sure everything was taken care of. And then I realigned it and I got it done April 5th. And I mean, October 5th. And by the end of October, I was That's awesome. going at it. That's awesome. What do you do at the gym? Uh, everything. I mean, we do. It's something different every time we go. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of a cross between a crossfit and not a cross, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nice. Yep. And you got a group that you have? Um, it's been, it's an old fart group. I yeah. call it. Cause I mean, most of us have been together. A lot of us been going to the same place for 20 plus years. Now we're on about the third or fourth person that's doing this, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that makes such a big difference. I got oh, a, yeah. I got a group that I work out with too. And it's, it's such a big part of my life. And, and those, those people become mm-hmm. such a, such an important part of your life. They're your friends, they're your support, they're your accountability. They're, it's just yep. the mean, whole thing. You know, I've been fighting to get that vaccine. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them, I was in Indiana all this week, last week, and she texted me that uh, Thursday and said, hey, they're moving it down to 55 Monday. Well, by gosh, I got it done Monday. Right then. <laughs> I started making sure I called and got my assistant to start calling. Uh, I knew which one I wanted. I had to find where it was and get on the list, and I had it done at 4 o'clock yesterday. Right on. No problem. Yeah. So, I mean, 
and some things I did in the gym today, you can feel it hurting. And they said, it, you know, give it three days, you'll be fine. Well, that's two of the two, two of the days I'll be in the gym with it. But, mm-hmm. you know, and it's got some muscles that feel fatigued or something, like I'm sore, but I shouldn't be sore kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. But that's what they said would happen. Yeah, no and then the one you got is just one and done, right? One and done. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're good to good, go. I'm 100%. In three months, they say? Did they? Did anybody tell you how long of a immunity a, a this shot? This one's like lasts? a real vaccine, like the forever, like polio yeah. vaccine. Like you that's never have to say. get another one. Wow, that's the one I want. Someday you may have to have a booster, but like uh, uh, five, five, Pfizer, yeah. Pfizer, and Madeira, uh, Moderna, uh-huh. Moderna. Yeah. Those two are not. They they are. Uh, what do they call it? Mg something. Mm-hmm. And it genomically changes your hmm. genomics. Wow. It's modified genomic something, you know, and I don't know enough about it, but um, I didn't want something messing with me. I had Doesn't a sound good. health issue. If I saw that in the yeah. grocery store with my steak, I would go to the other one, the I, organic I, one. I, I'm fat <laughs> even though I go to the gym, but this is, you know, the odd part is you push somebody here to fat and it's always soft and mushy. Yeah. Well, mine's scar tissue underneath. I, uh, I had a colon burst. Oh, you did? And I went very, 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 very septic. Almost died. Really? And then... Uh, it's hard to come back from being septic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And wow. Like I said, I almost died. Very septic. How, lo- where, how long were you in the hospital? Um, The first part, I was in there for four days, and then my colon burst... Uh, April Fool's Day of huh. Easter three years ago. Huh. April Fool's. Day. April Fool's. <laughs> it's like we, I got up early and mixed a bottle of milk for a calf and was going to carry it to my guy that works on the farm because I wasn't allowed to go out on the farm. And I was just still in the driveway and it's like it felt like somebody had shot me. Oh I'd my God. Jump off and raise my arms to get air in my lungs because it's hurting so bad. And wow. Um, I gave him the bottle, went back, got in the shower, hoping it relax something, whatever the problem was. And I got out and Judy jumped in real quick because we were trying to go to early church. And I sat down and got back up and went in there and said, you, you're going to have to hurry up and get out of there. You got to get me back to the hospital. She said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I'm about to die. I can't breathe. So she gets me back over here and uh, I told her to text this buddy minus the main surgeon guy. And he got there rather shortly and he goes, mm, this isn't good. Cause they had put me on blood thinner the week before, mm. and uh, by Monday night I crashed and had a hundred and four fever and very 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 infected. And he said we're gonna have to operate. And so sometime in the dark they rolled me out of the room and you know you're sitting there looking at everybody and said and I told my wife everything to do because I said I'm not coming back. I'll be dead. Wow. I'm done. I knew I was dying. It was that bad. And uh, I uh. I remember coming to when the lady was pushing me in the room. She rolls me over there and said, this guy is a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> That's what and she I said. Going, well, I, I have a loot. I have just off the wall illusions of things that happen when you're asleep. And I, I had dreamed that if you couldn't get up and run, they were strapping you to the gurney and you were in a real bright white room with lots of lights. And they had Angus bulls up above you right here walking down through, and they had all these guys on gurneys going down through here, and they would hook you up, and they were sucking the semen out of you for sale. <laughs> that was your dream. <laughs> what my, and I'm sure I was came back in there, and my mouth was just running away. The second time I went in, 
to get everything because they ended up with one of those bags on me. They took 10 inches of my coat and all. Second time they went in, it was a lot worse than they thought because they had to go in and take everything out, clean scar tissue, and took 18 more inches of my coat wow. out and reversed the bag off of me, thank goodness. And then that one, I dreamed that I had crashed in an airplane. Wow. And I can remember talking to my brother, sure, Danny says, what happened? I said, you tell me. You were the pilot. <laughs> I was chewing him out in the room. I didn't have a clue what I was saying. It was incredibly I mean? uh, uh, realistic. But first time I was four days and nine days, and then I ended up in there another week over Christmas when I got it reversed. Wow. It put me in there because it's only going to be two days and I ended up there a week. Wow. Do you have any uh, any perspective change after all this? Um, uh, some, I guess you'd say, but no, I've do what I always have done. I just, you know what I mean? <laughs> I stay at it like normal. Mm-hmm. Now did it slow me down some? Yeah. Cause I can't, you know what I mean? It's different. It's, you get cut from here to here and here to here, you know, and you, it changes your world some. Yeah. Something tells me that's not going to hold you down though. No. It doesn't. Yeah. I still hunt and fish. That's what I I figured. didn't climb a tree, though, for two or three years. Well, you know, those deer were happy about that, I think. I wasn't about to try that stunt. Yeah. <laughs> Not when you have that, you know, you have a cut. Literally, it starts middle up here and goes all the way down here. And uh-huh. I, I just wasn't about to try, take a chance on that. Probably wise. And even this last year, I would just pull the mule or the gator up there and raise the front windshield and sit in the seat. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, kind of camoed me off of the limbs because I just couldn't, I wasn't going to climb a tree. Right. That's what everybody said. By gosh, you got to order some deer stands. I said, okay, I'll order some because I was always a, a climbing stand. Uh-huh. I love the climbers because yeah. I can move over here a little bit or whatever I need to do. But that day, I guess it's gone. Eh, maybe. I'm not 18 anymore. No, but you're, you're, you're making a pretty good comeback. You'll, you, you could do that again if you wanted to. Probably. But if I get some good stains, you just got to be mad at them enough. You might not be mad at, <laughs> might not be mad enough at the deer, you know. That's true. Yeah, but no, if you I get mad at them, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what we see out there. I know, and the fishing. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Well, listen, I've really enjoyed. Uh, I've really enjoyed getting it. to Glad know you. you. Came to Rome. Yeah, thanks, man. You got a beautiful place here, and um, I good. am going to interrupt you on one thing. What's that? Now you sitting here looking at this. Uh huh. That whole thing's made out of it. Well, I know. I we were checking that out, and he was showing us how that that's mag- magnetic, and you pull mm-hmm. that whole display off, and it shows you how you put it on the boat. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we were thinking about um, for the podcast uh, behind, like where we do the podcast, doing something like that with with like a logo or something with your material, because like the light on a on on a frame or on a banner or anything it reflects and so we have to be real careful with the lights it's really hard to set up the lights but man you can put a light right on that you wouldn't even see it because it's matte you know we could pull that one down if you get a magnetic on the wall oh well it's not that hard yeah we'll we'll make another one with like some (laughs) logos and stuff on it but uh yeah that's cool man well you you do a great business and uh we're we're real happy to to have your product on the boat it's cool man love it and um, looking we're forward excited. to it. Can't wait to see how we do with it. Well, we're going to do great. We're going to do great. All right. Thanks, All right. Bill. Thank you. See you. Come see us again. Will do. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. 
Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.